0: Amen, praise the Lord. Well, we want to continue our study on the on uh, the subject of angels tonight, and we 're using as a text scripture Hebrews chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen. You can also turn in your Bibles to um, uh, psalm ninety one we 'll uh, rem- remind you and refresh your memory on some things that we 've already covered hebrews chapter one there 's a lot of verses in the first chapter of Hebrews that we could look at. But uh, we are using as a text scripture a beginning point, verses 13 and 14, the last two verses in the chapter. And uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, of course I have an opinion on who that is. I believe it was the Apostle Paul. But either no matter who it was, it was the Holy Ghost that inspired him to write this. So it's the Holy Ghost speaking these things. It said, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? He's talking about the, the excellency of Jesus and the excellency of Jesus' position over um, the angels but verse 14 he tells us who the angels are he said are they the angels not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation notice it doesn't just say to those although the angels might certainly minister to us on occasion it says they're to minister for us now in psalm 91 we've talked uh, for a couple of weeks about uh, one of the angels assignments and we've looked at some old testament uh, examples of how angels were involved in the deliverance of the people of God and uh, I'll remind you of some verses of scripture here um, beginning in verse 9, Psalm 91 verse 9 it says because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge even the most high thy habitation there shall no evil befall thee neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling for here's what's going to keep that evil and plague from coming to you for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, the word keep is the word protect, to keep thee in all thy ways, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And then it goes on and it says in the last couple of verses of the, uh, of the psalm about, uh, because he set his love upon me, and it talks about the relationship that, uh, that God is speaking first person toward this individual for whom the angels will protect, or for whom protection is made available. We've, uh, we've also seen in Psalm 103, verse 20, it says, Bless, uh, bless the Lord, uh, ye his angels, that excelleth in strength, who hearkeneth unto the voice of his word, that keepeth his commandments, and hearkeneth unto the voice of his word. Now, that's an interesting way to put that. He hearkens unto the voice of his word. It doesn't just say he heark- they hearken unto his word. It says he, they hearken, they, they, the angels that are excelling or mighty in strength, it says they hearken to the voice of of his word. Now, folks, if it wasn't written that way, if it was written that hearken unto his word, then we would lef, be left to conclude one or two, one of two or one or two things. Number one is, if they hearken unto his word, that means since God's word is given, angels are just going to work no matter what for everybody that's a believer. Or number two, it's left unto God to speak the word for the angels to move. Well, neither one of those are scriptural. Rather, it says he hearkens unto the voice of his word. In other words, the angels are waiting for somebody to give voice to what God said. The angels are waiting for you to confess the word so they can go to work for you. They hearken unto the voice of his word. Now, Psalm 91 brings that out only in a different way. It brings it out in a relationship manner rather than a confession manner. Because he has made the Lord thy God, thy refuge. Well, how do you make God your refuge? Through the word. Because he has set his love upon me. Then I will deliver him. How do you set your love upon him? Jesus said, He that loves me will keep my commandments. The one that loves me obeys my word, in other words. So it's all predicated on the word of God. It's all predicated on us using those ministering spirits by speaking the word of God. Now turn with me over to a couple of examples in the New Testament, real quickly. We've looked at some Old Testament examples. And uh, and showing you some things back there where God delivered his people Israel. But let's look at some New Testament examples as well. We'll go a little bit further into this and then kind of change directions. Notice in Acts chapter 5, it tells us about, uh, well, let's just start in verse 12. It says, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Now this is uh, following how that the high priest and the Jewish council, the religious leaders, commanded them to preach and teach no more in the name of Jesus. That's in Acts chapter 3 and 4. But they preach and teach in the name of Jesus anyway. So here's the result. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. In other words, the apostles were set apart in a ministry gift that nobody else could, could enter into. Now, why is that? Does that mean God doesn't want anybody else to be apostles? No, throughout the New Testament uh, letters written to the church, there are 26 different people named as apostles. So this doesn't mean that these guys are apostles and nobody else will be apostles. It means that in the beginning days of the church, God set apart the ministry until he could develop and, and raise up other people. You with me? So they, everybody recognized these guys that were with Jesus... They've got a special place in the beginning of the church. The Bible says that the, the church is founded upon or built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So it said in the rest there no man joined themselves to them but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women. I don't know how many of that is but it sounds like a crowd. Not just multitude but multitudes. Now up to this point 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. And then 5,000 people got saved in Acts chapter 3 when the man at the beautiful gate was healed so that's 8,000 people plus multitudes that were added to the Lord daily such as should be saved we're talking about a big group in Jerusalem I don't know what the population of Jerusalem is but it it sounds like the Jewish leaders if they're going to try to squelch Christianity they've got a real problem on their hands it seems like, at least it would feel like to them everybody around them is getting saved And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick under the streets and laid them on beds. Now, insomuch goes back to the hands of the apostles and the many signs and wonders wrought among the people. The many signs and wonders are are described. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the shadow of the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. In other words, Peter's shadow is getting people healed. Now, that never happened in Jesus' ministry. How does a shadow heal anybody? It's a rhetorical question, I guess, because I have no answer. I didn't know there was healing in a shadow. But I guess when the name of Jesus is at work, anything is possible. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks. This now is spreading outside of Jerusalem. People coming from other cities, they're hearing about this stuff. Bringing sick people. And them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Bless our hearts, we get a couple of people saved and we think we've had a landslide. Folks, the Bible says the glory of the last days will be greater than the first. These are the first days. Then the high priest rose up, verse 17, and all they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Uh, The word indignation is uh, the word envy. They were filled with envy. That's usually why religious people attack. They were filled with envy. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. We'll stop this right now. We'll put these guys in prison. But the angel of the Lord, by night, opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak into the temple to the people all the words of this life. How do you fight that? You put them in prison, the angel opens the doors. Now, folks, what I want you to see is the angels have a work in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, in the church age, of deliverance just like they did in the Old Testament, just like they did under the Old Covenant. And it seems, um, it seems that the angels work diligently in the promotion of the gospel. Turn with Acts chapter 12. We'll see another example of this. Verse 1, now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. These were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, put Peter in prison, put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. A quaternion is a, is a, a squad of four. So four squads of four soldiers would be 16 soldiers. What that means is there were four watches and there were four soldiers around Peter 24 hours a day. They delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, I guess the other two were outside the prison doors, sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined into the prison, and he smote Peter in the side. That means he kicked him. He kicked Peter to wake him up. And raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. Put your clothes on. And so he did, and he said unto him, Cast your garment about him, don't forget your coat, and follow me. Now, folks, some charismaniacs get wild eyed when you start talking about angels and stuff. And they think angels are behind everything. And some people might even take this and say, Angels help you get dressed. Well, an angel of the Lord told me to wear brown tonight. No, it was just in my rotation, it was the next one up. Nothing supernatural about it. It was the suit that was clean. And so the angel said to him, Cast on your garment about you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not, he knew not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He's not sure this is really happening. He thinks this is a vision, maybe a dream or something. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came under the iron gate, which leads into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. The angel got him out to where he was safe and then left. And the only thing the angel did. Kicked him in the side said come on let's go. When he gets up the chains fall off. Tells him to get his clothes on. Don't forget your coat. Follow me. Opens the doors and disappears. Angels must really be into deliverance. Maybe it's true what Psalm 91 says. He shall give his angels charge over thee. To keep thee in all your ways. But again, here's the promotion of the gospel. Because Peter's the leader of the church. So it seems that the angels are really interested in the promotion of the the gospel. The spread of the word of God. Which means they're hearkening unto the voice of his word. Now folks, we've got a problem with angels. Like I said, charismaniacs just just go wild out about some of this stuff. I, uh, I, I really stay away from that. I run from that like the plague. I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'm motivated by truth. And I don't think you have to add to the truth. I don't think you have to embellish it. I don't think you have to sugarcoat it. I don't think you have to make it sound better than it really is. The truth is what's true. That's why politics frustrates the stew out of me. Because politics is all about telling people what they want to hear and has nothing to do with the truth. But the Word of God is truth. And here's the problem we've got when it comes to angels. I don't want to teach something that's, that's wild-eyed. I don't want to go beyond the Word of God. But here's the problem that we have with angels. We can't see them. So we don't know what all they're doing. We're left to take principles and the stories that the Bible gives us about the things that they have done to establish some kind of knowledge or some kind of working knowledge and understanding about... Okay, here's what angels do and here's how they do it. Is it complete? It couldn't be. There's no way we could have a complete picture and knowledge of how the angels operate just from what the Bible tells us. Because the Bible does not emphasize the angels. I think that's important that it doesn't. Because if the Bible emphasized the angels, you know what little bit the Bible says about the devil and how people get crazy about that. If the Bible gave us a lot of information about angels, we'd have half the church worshiping angels. And I think for that reason, my opinion, you judge for yourself, but in my opinion, that's the reason why we don't have a lot of information about angels. But we do have some information, and that information is relative to deliverance. Now, I could stand here and tell you stories all night long about things that have happened where people have claimed to see angels. Are they all reliable? I don't know. I know some are because I I believe in the people that tell them. For example, a missionary friend of ours... Uh, folks that we support, uh, John and Alba Alboromic in uh, Columbia. When they first moved to Columbia, they've been there over, uh, well, almost 25 years now, I think. When they first got down there, Columbia was drug heaven. It's less than it was. It's better than it was when they first moved down there. But, boy, the drug cartels were controlled everything, the government, everything. Everybody that was, was in place was a figurehead. It was the drug kingpins that were running everything. Well, John went and established a mission field or a mission station right there in the middle of, of drug territory. He went where God told him to go. And he and Alba were just, they were plugging along, getting people saved and, and, uh, and, and sharing the word and doing what they could. They hadn't started a Bible school at that point. They had uh, a church and some, you know, small church and services and things like that. But one of the drug lords in, in the, that uh, governed the territory where John and Alba were, he put out the word. These people aren't going to make it. I'm going to kill these people. And it became such that it was rumored for a while, but finally he said, at such and such a time, I'm going to show up and I'm going to kill them. Well, John heard about it. He prayed and said, Lord, what do I do? He said, i never prayed about anything so hard in my life. As you could well understand. I mean, these guys don't play around. They leave people dead all over the place. So he realized this is a serious issue. Lord, what do I do? He said, you know what the Lord told me? Nothing. What do you do when God doesn't tell you anything? That's a place where a lot of people will run off and try their own thing. Because if God didn't say anything, something's got to be done. But he realized, and folks, oh, this is such an important lesson. If God hasn't told you to do something else, keep doing what you're doing. Go back to the last thing he told you and stick with that. Don't change unless he's told you to do something different. And that's the hardest part for some people, is holding steady. Because steady gets routine. Steady seems like after a while we're not doing anything. Hey, we've got to be moving. We've got to get things rolling here. You know, people to save. Demons to cast out. Stuff to do. We've got to run. Sometimes steady is the place where God wants you to be because that's where you're growing. It's hard to grow on the run. Seriously. You look at church growth, you look at uh, the the church in uh, revival. For example, here in Acts chapter, uh, what was it, Acts chapter 5, where where, uh, we looked at the scripture where it said, and no man dared join themselves to the apostles. You know what that's really about? Church growth comes in spurts and then levels out. The growth doesn't occur when the people are added. The growth occurs when things level out. Because that's where you get people established. That's where you can teach people. That's where you can get them grounded in the truth of the word. Growth doesn't happen when everything is blowing up around you. Most people think revival is some wonderful thing where it's just the, the, the glory of God just comes in. Revival is messy. Because lots of people are added in and nobody knows where they fit. So what do you need? After those times of growth, after those big spurts, you need some level time. You need some steady time where everybody can calm down, where everybody can realize, wait a minute, who am I in Christ? It's not enough that I got saved. Now who am I? See what I mean? So John prayed. Lord, what do I do? He said God didn't tell him anything. Well, he had the, uh, the uh, desire to send Albo away. So he did. He knew that this was coming up in a few days, so he sent her to another place where he said, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, don't have a, I don't have a witness in my heart that I'm supposed to leave or anything, but I just feel better if you're not here. It'd be easier for me to hear from God and just do whatever I need to do if you're not here. So he sent her to another place. She didn't like it. She went kicking and screaming, come go with me and all this kind of stuff. But he said, no, 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 this is the way we're going to do it. So he sent her away. Well, the time came where these drug Lord drug kingpins Rolled up in their big jeeps And all this stuff With their their guns And everything else About it And called him out So they just had a little Hut down there John walks out To the middle of the thing And he says You the preacher John said yeah He said you heard That I'm going to kill you Didn't you John said yeah I heard that He said well that's what I'm here to do John said well Okay, I'm here because of the name of Jesus. Jesus sent me here and I'm going to stay. And all of a sudden, there's there's like four or five truckloads of these guys. Everybody starts freaking out. Jumping in their trucks and wind up everybody running away. John's just standing there. He had no idea anything was going on. He didn't see anything. He didn't hear anything. He had no idea anything was going on. But the story that was told by these drug people was that while John said i'm here in the name of jesus all of a sudden the porch was full of angels great big old guys with great big old swords and they went running for their lives well john never had another problem with drug people (laughs) he's the guy with the angels well see i can trust that story because i trust him i hear some wild eyed charismaniacs talking about some angel story i'm not so sure one of the most outstanding stories of deliverance I ever heard that never mentioned an angel, but I'm convinced had something that the angels were at work, had to do with a, a plane crash, two planes that crashed together on the ground in uh, 1977 in the Canary Islands. It's still the, the most, uh, um, the most people were killed in this uh, air, aircraft accident than any other time. What had happened is there was some freedom fighter group that had uh, bombed the big uh, capital city airport so all the other planes had been diverted to this smaller airport in the Canary Islands and it was foggy visibility was bad and so they had planes stacked up everywhere great big old planes I mean these, uh, these planes that were flying back and forth to Bermuda and from New York and LA and all these kind of things and as well as European cities too it was a KLM jet and a Pan Am jet and they were both loaded down for their long flights both of them were getting ready to take off well, they sent the KLM pl- uh, plane out to the end of the runway. They, they were It's not a big airport, and so they're having to use one runway and, and several uh, taxiways to try to stack all the planes up. Long story short, they sent one out and turned around for him to take off. The other one was supposed to go up the same runway following him and then turn off on a taxiway, but he missed the taxiway. So he went up to the next taxiway to turn off there. But the KLM flight punched it and started taking off. And so the one flight is on the ground. The other flight clips the top of it. And these are those big, uh, what were they? 767s or 747s, whatever it were, the three, three story things where you have the circular staircase and, and all that kind of stuff. 767, is that what they're? 47s? Okay. Well, whatever. I'm not a plane guy. Anyway, 747s. These things were loaded down with people and fuel, full of fuel. Well, they both became fireballs. There were uh, 580-something people killed. There were only 40 people that, that survived. None of the KLM flight passengers survived. And only 42 or 43 or something like that passengers of the uh, Pan Am flight uh, survived. And all of them were in the tail section with, that was away from, uh, from all the, uh, the, the gas tanks, uh, fuel tanks, and, and uh, where the impact took place, except for one guy. One guy was seated in the middle of the plane. Right where the fuel tanks are, right where everything is, right where the, the contact was made. He was a Baptist guy, just a Baptist guy. And he said, his testimony was the most outstanding thing I've ever heard in my life. He said that everything just blew up around him. He said, we had no warning. We didn't know what was going on. We're taxing and all of a sudden something hits our plane and, and explosions and, and carnage all over the place. He said, I saw people burn, their faces melt off their, their, uh, their, uh, their skeletons. He said, I, 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 you'd think people would turn to God in a time like that. He said, I saw people cursing God as their faces melted. Just horrible, horrible thing. He said, but there was a voice. All he said was a voice. He said, there was a voice that said, follow me and I'll get you out of here. And every step of the way, he would tell him, turn right, turn left, duck. He said, one time he ducked and there was some kind of explosion and a fireball Came down right down the the middle aisle, aisle, right past him. Then he got to the place where it was the two or three story thing, and uh, and this voice said, "Jump." Well, it was ten feet from where he was to the floor of where he was going. There's no way you can make that kind of jump. That's the that's the height of a basketball goal. But he jumped, and all of a sudden he's there. Well, tell me that can't. That's not an angel at work. I mean, you can't make that kind of jump. Nobody does. And anyway, step by step, time after time, finally he wound up having to make the jump from the three-story thing. The only thing that he had, no burns, no problems physically other than when he made the three-story jump to the ground, he broke his ankle. And he told a story, he told a testimony. Well, why him? Is he the only Christian on the plane? It's not like he's a Bible believer confessing the word kind of guy he's just a baptist sunday school teacher what distinguished him from anybody else folks i don't have an answer these are questions i'd like to ask i don't know but see i can see the angels at work there but he never said he saw one all he said he heard was a voice i guess in all that smoke and and fire and everything else it'd be hard to see an angel if you could see one but see that's the problem we have we can't see angels so how do we know what all they're doing Therefore, we're left with principles that the Bible guides us in. Now, having said that, turn with me over to John chapter 1. Here's why I laid that foundation. John chapter 1 is a real, real interesting scripture. Jesus has a real interesting conversation with one of his new disciples. This is talking about uh, finding... Simon and John and, and uh, James and John, those guys let's start reading in verse uh, well, verse 43. The day following Jesus would go in forth into Galilee and found F- Philip, and he said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses, in the law and the prophets, did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." In other words, he's saying this is the Messiah. As far as we're concerned, we're convinced this is the Messiah. Come on, Nathanael, follow us. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Nazareth Nazareth was not highly thought of, you can see. It was certainly the backwoods territory. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, Behold, an an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. In other words, at least this guy's honest. This guy calls it the way he sees it. He doesn't put on airs. He's not trying to impress anybody. He simply says, Nathaniel is the guy that's right up front. He's straight up and he's up front. That was his question. You telling me that the Messiah is coming from Nazareth? Jesus respected that. He respects somebody that's straight up like that. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 48. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? How do you know anything about me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before the th- Philip called thee, When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. So what's happening here? Nathanael is convinced because Jesus has given him one word of Revelation. It's a word of knowledge. I saw you yesterday under the fig tree before Philip ever talked to you. I saw you under the fig tree. Well, you can't see me unless you are the son of God. Just like Philip said. You following the story here? Okay, see what else Jesus says. Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? That's what caused you to believe? That was enough for you? Thou shalt see greater things than these. You ain't seen nothing yet. Now notice what he said in verse 51. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now would somebody tell me where that happened in the book of in, in any of the four Gospels? Because if, if you've got it, I'm missing some pages. There's nowhere I've gotten the four Gospels where it tells anybody saw angels ascending and descending on Jesus. As a matter of fact, the only two times that the Bible talks about angels in relation to Jesus, nobody else was there. Nobody saw anything. It happened, but nobody saw anything. So, why did Jesus tell Nathanael? Was this part of his ministry not fulfilled? Did this not really happen? Nobody's going to convince me of that. Then what does he mean? Well, if there isn't a place where the heavens were opened and they literally saw the angels ascending and descending upon him, although Jesus indicates that it's not just going to be a one-time thing, it's going to be a normal occurrence. That's the way I'm reading this. Am I reading it wrong? Or do you read the same way? Hereafter? That indicates to me that it's not just tomorrow at noon, keep your eyes open, look sharp. Look sharp. Because this is what you're going to see. That indicates to me that it's saying, you walk with me, and from this point forward, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon me. But we don't ever have record of angels ascending and descending on Jesus. So what's he mean? He's got to mean that the angels are going to help him in his work, in his ministry. So what does that tell us? That tells us angels were involved in things that the Bible doesn't tell us what they were doing. Now, if the angels are involved in the ministry of Jesus, if the angels are involved in Jesus doing his work, the three main works that the Bible tells us about that Jesus did were preaching, teaching, and healing. Does that mean healing was a part of the work of angels in Jesus' ministry? Well, let's see. Turn with me over to John chapter 5. We'll start in verse 2. It says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For, verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So John chapter 5 tells us that at the pool of Bethesda, prior to Jesus coming on the scene, prior to Jesus coming on that day, there would be an angel that would come down and deliver a means of healing. Now we don't know how often that was. But it had to be frequent enough for people to wait for it. I mean, if it's once a year, you're not going to lay there a year. If it was one time many years past, nobody's going to be laying there waiting for it to happen again. It's got to be with some kind of frequency so that people are willing to stay there for some period of time. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I'm not going unless I think there's some chance of it. Would you? That's what I see in this situation. But the point is this. If we're left with not being able to see angels, then we have to go with what the Bible tells us about the principles concerning what angels do and the work they perform. We see from this that angels are involved in healing. In other words, agents of healing. Now, don't get me wrong. Angels are never the healer. Jesus is the healer. But angels are messengers. They're deliverers. They can deliver healing. I wonder if there were ever occasions in Jesus' ministry that we read and see that Jesus healed someone, but there was an angel involved. I have to believe that because of what Jesus told Nathanael. Jesus clearly told Nathanael that angels ascending and descending, coming to him and departing from him, were going to be a part of his ministry. So I have to believe that that included healing because healing was such a major part of Jesus' ministry. Now you tell me, am I crazy? I, I refuse to be one of these charismaniacs. And here's the deal. When you start studying a subject, you see it in everything. So when you start studying angels, you see angels everywhere. I don't mean literally see them everywhere. I mean you see them in the Word. But I don't want to add to what the Bible says. But can we not legitimately conclude that angels are involved in healing? Well, okay, do we have any examples in Jesus' ministry where healing was performed by angels or, or healing was uh, delivered by or, or angels participated in any way where the healing work of God was concerned? No, we don't. What does that mean? Does that mean they didn't? Or does that mean we're not supposed to focus on the angels? It certainly gave us enough information to know that angels are involved with healing. Or at least were before Jesus came on the scene. But then Jesus said that the angels would be involved in His ministry. So that tells me that they're involved in ministry now. What's changed? God wouldn't provide the angels upon Jesus and not provide them for us too. Would he? Well, if Jesus needed the angels to do the work of God and he told us to do the same works that he did and even greater works, then that, doesn't that mean we need the angels at work too? You see my dilemma? I can't point to something that says, this is it. But I can point to a lot of things and say, boy, there's a lot of reason to believe this. Now, let me tell you how angels have been used in certain people's ministries. One of the most outstanding uh, healing ministries that I've ever heard of relative to angels. And, and please understand, not every everybody that ministers healing has the operation of angels or or knows of the operation of angels in their ministry but there was a man there was a healing revival during the healing revival from 1947 to 1958 there was a man named William Branham Branham was a uh, if you've ever seen pictures of him he's a real slim slight frail kind of guy you know uh, he was uh, he was a recluse I mean he was a backwoods guy He, he wanted his dream was to be a forest ranger you know, get out away from people, never see another person, just get out with the trees and the animals and, and that kind of stuff. He would, even in the height of his ministry, he would abandon some of the healing campaigns he was in the middle of to go hunting and fishing. I mean, this guy was just, I mean, that's just how, how he was. You know, he'd make a, a Brother Hagen said that uh, there was a time where he and Gordon Lindsay had made an appointment to go see Brother Branham. And Branham bailed out on the appointment because he went fishing. Did it three times. Finally, Brother Hagin said, I'll just forget it. I'm not going to meet with it." Anyway, this guy, he was... uh, They would say about him. I I was never in his ministry. I've seen some uh, video clips of him, but only when the anointing was on him, so I don't know this part. But they would say when he'd start off, he would be kind of jittery. You know the the Don Knotts character, uh, Barney Fife? That's what I think of when I think of William Branham. You know, just... just, uh, Look like he 's going to mess up whatever he does, stand in front of people and just you know that kind of thing well that 's the way Branham was, apparently he was just real jittery, but then there would be an angel show up, and it would turn him into a different person, and he 'd say so he 'd say, "The angel's here now, now I can minister, and he would be just a complete opposite of what he was before he 'd be forceful he 'd be bold. He, he, and and the 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 gifts of the spirit that operated through this guy when the angel was present, he couldn't operate unless the angel was there and there were times where he'd go you know forty five minutes into the message or what he was trying to 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 say, and brother Hagan say it wouldn't even make sense and he'd steppingen up and say, "The angel is here, and everything would change, and God would use him in a word of a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge like just in an unreal way he said, uh, Branham used to describe it like this he said, it's like there's a fence he said, there's a, this fence keeps me from seeing anything but when the angel comes it lifts me up over the fence so I can see into what the problem is he would have people come up never having seen him before or whatever he'd tell them their name, he'd tell them where they lived he would, sometimes because he was uneducated he didn't know how to say what the, the, uh, uh, the name of the disease they had God would reveal it to him, but he didn't know how to pronounce it, so he'd spell it. So he's spelling out these big, long medical terms. God used him in in phenomenal ways, just phenomenal ways. People would say, people that would, that would know him and, and were there in towns where he would have crusades, people that are still alive today, they would say that you'd have to get trucks to haul away the crutches and the stretchers and the wheelchairs and all that stuff, truck after truck after truck, that they'd have to rent to haul this stuff away because people would get healed and just leave their stuff behind. Folks, we're talking about a real display of God's power. That sounds like the book of Acts to me. I mean, people coming from other towns and everybody getting healed. Stuff's real. Well, for him, it only worked when the angel was there. Now, Brother Hagin ministered healing. He had a healing anointing in his hand. He never talked about angels. It wasn't relative to an angel. So it's not that that's the only way that God can do it, and I certainly don't mean to imply that. But sometimes God uses people like that. Sometimes people, God uses people in that way. Well, what does that mean? In his case, in Branham's case, the angel was a healing agent. He didn't lay hands on anybody. He didn't minister to people like that. I'm not talking about Branham. I'm talking about the angel it didn't have anything to do with that. But the presence of the angel gave Branham what he needed from God to minister the way God wanted him to do it. So what was the angel? The angel was the deliverer where his ministry was concerned. He was the one that delivered the supernatural and in his case spectacular equipment from God to fulfill the ministry that God gave him. I know of another minister that uh, the God uses in that way, not to not nearly to that degree, not nearly in that measure but um, but there 's another minister that um, uh, that God seems to use angels in his ministry in in great degree. They were in um, uh, he and, and some other ministers were holding some meetings overseas I think it was in Poland that this happened and there was a guy that was old fellow in his 70's and he was, uh, was kind of like the woman in uh, Luke chapter 13 where it says she was bowed over together and she couldn't know why lift up herself he said this guy was, was, um, uh, was bent over like this and about all he could do is, is turn his head and look up to see who he was talking to everything else he's looking at the top of people's shoes turns out that this guy had been in Hitler's army and had been captured and put in a prisoner of war camp by the Soviets. And in the Soviet prisoner of war camp, they loaded him down with, with wood and, and all kinds of stuff. And he got that by having to carry stuff under the, the burdens of that they would put him under. And over a year, over a period of time, arthritis had set in. And, and the guy just, his bones and joints and everything else was locked up. He couldn't move. And in the middle of this guy's sermon, he's just preaching Jesus, preaching on healing and and some other things, maybe too, just talking about Jesus. In the middle of the sermon, this guy starts scooting up the the aisle way. So he gets up to the the front. Nobody stops him. He gets up to the front. And so the minister sees him coming. I mean, it takes him forever to get there. And so the minister sees him when he gets there. And so he says, "Uh, Sir, what do you need? And this guy falls down on his knees and starts worshiping the minister. And he said, don't worship me. Jesus is the healer. Don't, you don't worship me. He said, get up. Well, as soon as he said, get up, before the guy could even try to get up, which would have been a chore, all of a sudden, it's like somebody lifted him up, and he starts going straight up. He starts going straight up, and he winds up going up on his tiptoes like this. Somebody that was in the meeting, a minister friend of mine in the meeting, said he saw it. He saw the whole thing, and he thought, this guy's coming off the ground. And, and the minister said, look at that, look at that. An angel's got him by the shoulders, lifting him up and straightening him out. But everybody's looking. Nobody can see anything. But the minister sees an angel doing it. And apparently when this guy was on the ground on his knees, the angel picked him up by the shoulders, lifting him up some way or another, and straightened him out. And when he straightened him out, the guy became straight, totally straight. Finally let him go, and he's upright. Heal from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Well, if that was an angel, what was it? Some people hear things about angels and say, oh, Ah, the angels don't do that kind of stuff. Well, okay, then who did it? Have it your way. Who did it? The devil sure isn't setting people free. It was the work of God somehow, wasn't it? Because it, perver- it produced a healing work of God another time uh, this same minister uh had uh, was ministering along and he kept uh, there was a, the way the platform was set up there was a piano over on one side and uh and he'd be ministering he kept looking over there he'd minister a little bit longer and he kept looking over there and finally he just stopped and said somebody here needs a new heart who is it well this older gentleman comes he jumps up and he said that's me Well, he starts trying to come down the aisle and has to stop. He gets a couple of rows and has to stop. His heart condition is so bad that he can't take but a few steps and he has to stop for breath. And finally, he gets down there and he says, Well, he said all during the service there's been an angel standing over there next to the the piano and he's got a new heart. And it's for you. He's not going to repair the old one. He's going to give you a new one. So receive it. Well, the guy falls over in the floor. Nobody touches him. Nobody lays a hand on him. He falls over in the floor. His testimony the next night is that he left that place, he went back to, um, uh, actually, if I remember the story right, he told everybody, I came here to this from another town because my brother is buried in a cemetery here. And I came to tell him, went to the graveside and tell him, I'll see you soon. My heart's so bad, I'll see you soon. He said, I went back, there's a big long row of steps up to the place that I'm staying. He said, I, I was only able to carry my suitcase up one step and rest. One more step and rest. He said, it took me forever to get to the top of those steps. He said, I've been running up and down those steps all day long today. I just got back from the cemetery and told my brother, I'm not coming yet. It's going to be quite a while before I see you. (laughs) Now, again, some people might say, well, I don't believe that stuff about angels. Well, okay, then who did it? The minister said he saw the angel. Nobody else did. The minister said he saw the angel. It produced the work that he said the angel would do. What do we conclude about these things? Folks, we could tell you these stories all night long. I'm not sure if it's in our interest to do so or not. Because the important thing that the Bible seems to get across to us is that God uses angels in healing. But do we want to start looking for angels? That's not the right thing to do. That was Paul's whole point in Hebrews chapter 1 by telling them that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's talking to the Jews who thought the angels were the top of everything. He said, no, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. I know of another story where there was a woman that had a blockage in her heart. She was an older lady, an older minister. She had a blockage in her heart. And uh, and she and her husband began to pray about it, prayed in earnest for some period of time. And, uh, and she said, while I was praying, we had prayed about it for several days, and it was just us by ourselves. She said, while I was praying, she said, I had the, the, the strangest sensation. She said, it was like a hand. I could feel a hand going on the inside of me, inside my heart. And then when it came out, my heart was fine. My heart was beating normally. There was no, I went back to the doctor, checked, there was no blockage. The doctor compared the x-rays, and said, well, if we didn't have this first x-ray, we wouldn't think that was you. Well, what was that? Whose hand would that have been? Maybe that was an angel. Again, we don't want to start looking for angels. But sure, it's good to know they work. Isn't it? Well let's finish with this Let's go back to Psalm 103 And remind you of a verse of scripture That we spoke of earlier I'm looking for angels to do more in healing In these last days Psalm 103 verse 20 I quoted this to you earlier Not sure I got it entirely right So let me close with this one tonight Bless the Lord. Psalm 103 verse 20. Bless the Lord ye his angels that excel in strength. The margin of my Bible says mighty in strength. That do his commandments. Hearkening unto the voice of his word. There's something about that scripture that keeps going on over and over and over again on the inside of me. Hearkening unto the voice of his word. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. How are they going to minister for us as heirs of salvation? when we speak the word of God when we speak the word of God I wonder how many times angels are at work in our lives and we don't know I wonder how many times now as far as they're concerned they're just doing their job it's not necessary or even important for them to be seen or known well seen at least I think we ought to know I think the Bible tells us enough so that we ought to know I'm looking for angels to do some mighty things. I'm looking for some angels to do some mighty things. Some years ago, uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to go research it to figure out when. But some years ago, I had a vision. We were, we were working on this building, and, and it was part of the, the problems that we were having and, and some of that kind of stuff. And I saw heaven open right there over that, that, that area right there. And I saw angels going back and forth. And I saw angels bringing healing. I saw angels bringing other things too. I saw angels bringing deliverance. Now I just saw that while I was praying. It's what Brother Hagin used to call a mini vision. M-I-N-I. He would always spell it. And then he'd say, mini vision. Okay, it was a little different. But anyway. That was one of the things that kept me going on this building. Because I knew that, this, that God intended for this to be a place where the angels would work. Now, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of that yet. I think our best days are way ahead of us. Well, way ahead, that, that leaves the wrong impression. Our best days are ahead of us. We've got a lot of great days ahead. That's what I'm trying to say. Not way ahead, it's a long time off. Meaning we've got a lot of good days ahead. I'm looking for the angels to do some things Now we're not going to get weird about angels I don't want you to either Don't come telling me Pastor Mike I saw an angel It's sad when some of the people that have the angel stories Look the weirdest isn't it thank God angels are ministering spirits who hearken unto the voice of his word. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep speaking his word so the angels can work. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the angels that you've given charge over us to keep and protect us. But also angels that you have as healing agents. Father, we trust you. To work according to your will. We're not looking for angels. We're not asking for angels. We're not seeking angels father. We just seek you and the truth of your word. We recognize Jesus is the healer. But father. Help us to be open. To all that you have for us. That's the main thing for me Lord. Is just that we be aware. So that we can cooperate effectively and fully. With all that you have. Don't let us put you into a box in any way whatsoever, but instead help us to see just how big you are, just how wonderful your ways and your works are, and the performance of those works. Oh, Father, we love you so much. We fit that that you spoke of, Father. We have set our love upon you. We have known your name. Therefore, the blessings of deliverance are ours. Thank you, Father, that you set us on high. Cause us to be a place where people come from miles and miles around cities like they did in Jerusalem. Give us the power of God, Father. Give us an outpouring of revelation. Give us an outpouring of power. Give us an outpouring of utterance, Father, so that people come from far and wide. Go, ministering spirits, and cause those people to come. To receive healing to receive the power of god for their lives to be changed father we don't seek a name for ourselves we to seek to exalt the name that's above every name the name of jesus thank you father for making it so in jesus precious name amen amen praise the lord well god bless you thank you for being with us